Yes, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast, where every week we look back on the weekend's action and look ahead. And this week we've got lots and lots to get into. I'm Ryan Marr, and I'm back joined with Paul Cuddy. Paul, how are you? Did you enjoy your weekend? I did, yes, and it's good to be back. I thought you'd forgotten all about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that's been sending it the invites, you've been knocking them back, so don't give me that. <laughs> um, just to let you all know, we do have a competition running on our Celtic View Twitter account just now to win this edition of the Celtic View, which you can still buy in stores, but you can't get this one in stores because this one is signed by the man himself, Jota. So head over to our Celtic View Twitter account if you want to try and have a chance of winning that competition. Paul, it was a busy weekend for, for all three teams. Just start off, just give us a, a moment of the weekend when you look back in, in all three games. Is there one thing that stands out for you? There's probably a, a couple of things for me. I think, obviously, for the first team's point of view, Hatati's goal to win the game was, was a bit special. And it maybe needed something to be a bit special in the day. And we dominated the game, but we just we needed that, that moment of magic. And then also from the B team's point of view, the, the last minute winner, um, the game kind of seemed to to and fro, but they kept going, got a couple of late goals to beat a gala 4-3, so um, that, that was another highlight for me. Yeah, and the women's team as well, obviously getting through, starting their defence of their League yeah. Cup title, great for them to get through. I think my moment of the weekend maybe has to be <laughs> Cal McGregor's challenge at the end of that match against <laughs> Motherwell. It's just, it was one of those moments where sitting in the studio for the game and you could hear all the fans below us all kind of standing up and applauding almost as if it was a goal how important it was that he made that challenge and he's obviously going to be a big miss going forward for the for the next game against St Johnston but that really was a match winning tackle so I think for me that can ask you my moment of the weekend I love Hatati's goal but, but just that in general um, we've got lots to get into in this podcast of course we're going to review all the weekend's action, but we also have an interview with Derek Ray coming up, commentator, a, a voice you might know well, who is going to look ahead to the match against RB Leipzig. We also have an interview with B-team player Matthew Anderson as they also get set to head over to Germany. And we have another edition of the My Game, My Words series, where each week a player of the women's team talks us through their journey in life and to get into this point at Celtic. So we have Lucy Ashworth Clifford in that as well. So make sure you stick around for, for all of that. Paul, why don't we start off with the Motherwell game on Saturday. A 2-1 victory, goals from Kyogo and Hatate. It was nervy though, wasn't it? It, it became nervy. I, I, I think sometimes as well, I think we're, we're turning up to these games thinking, right, we're going to win 6, 7, 8, 9-0. And when that doesn't happen, then there's a wee bit of anxiety. And then maybe the fact that we went into the game, we weren't actually top of the table, so you know it becomes nervous. Even though, you know, we're ninety minutes at home, we've never lost at home in the league under the, you know, under the manager. And if you actually look at it, you know, we had seventy percent possession. We had loads of chances without playing as well as as we could. I think you heard from the manager and Greg Taylor after the game. They kind of acknowledged that, you know, we can play better. You know, we hit the the bar, we hit the post, we had some really glorious chances. And Motherwell scored from a, a freak goal that came out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. And apart from that, they never they never really threatened. So it, it was a comfortable away, a 2-1 victory. And, and it was interesting when I was looking before the game, I think last December, last season, we beat Motherwell 1-0 here. Like Tom Rogic scored the goal right in the stroke at half-time. <laughs> I have no recollection of that game. <laughs> it's just one of those games in the course of the 38 where you just... 
you know, it's not a shock result and it's not a, a really, really hefty win for us. So it kind of, it's three points, it's chalked up. And I think that's what that game in Saturday will be. It's like an important win. It's not the best, it's not the worst, but we kind of move on and, and, you know, we thoroughly deserved to, to win the game and, and could have and, and should have won it more comfortably. I think a lot of the times in seasons you look back at the games that finish 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, the games that you remember the most, but those games are equally important, particularly coming off the back of a defeat against St Mirren. I think the manager said afterwards it was just important to get a victory so we don't continue that cycle of, of not winning a game. So really, really crucial in the, in the, the, concert, uh, in, in the season in general, isn't it? Yeah, I, I kind of felt, and in commentary, Tom Boyd and I were saying that if we'd got the second goal, then either when it was 1-0 or again, you know, when it was 2-1, it would have just made things a bit more comfortable because Motherwell obviously hung in in the game and, and that, that goal just before half-time, it gave them something to hang on to and they were very, very defensive. But they didn't really threaten us, to, to be honest. And, you know, obviously near the end, they would have had that chance with, I think it was Shield or Tierney was going to be yeah. running through. We'd certainly have tested Joe Hart if Callum McGregor hadn't intervened. But, you know, we, if we took another couple of those chances that we, we'd got, or, you know, I thought particularly with the own goal, Juranovic, I felt really sorry for him in a way because, you know, 60 seconds beforehand, he almost scores with that great free kick that hits the bar. 60 seconds later, there's a bit of confusion at the back and he ends up scoring an own goal. As I say, that, that kind of, I let Motherwell hang in there, but, you know, I think anybody that watched the game without it being a free-flown best, and I think that we're almost victims of our own success because of some of the games and some of the football we've played. When it's not clicking like that for the 90 minutes, that's maybe where some of the frustration comes in. I mean, we saw that at the back end of last season as well. You think of the Abada late goal against Dundee United at home. You think of... Yakimakis in that 3-2 game against Dundee, it's not always plain sailing at home and sometimes you have to grind them out. But, I mean, a big turning point or a big moment in the game that could have been a turning point, not to go on a rant, but that penalty, I mean, that's a, it's a clear handball, chance to make it 3-1, Motherwell go down to 10 men, that completely changes the game and you're not having that nervy end to it. So, that could have been a big moment. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, those are big moments and... Without, I don't think in the replays you could actually see, I'd need to have a look at it again to see where the position of the referee was because I always think in those situations there are cases where the referees, maybe the angle he's at, he maybe there's players in front of him and he doesn't quite see. But there's no excuse for the assistant referee who's got the clear view, who's only like about 12 yards away from it and sees it. So he has to see it. Now, that the question is then why is he not saying to the referee if the referee can't see it? So... I mean, it was just a blatant handball, so those things do change. Thankfully, and I think what happens with the officials is it's kind of people forget about it because of the result, it doesn't impact the result negatively mm -hmm. for us, but it could. So, you know, you have to get those things right. And I, I did joke with Tom Boyd because I think what happens in the games just now because we know VAR is coming in to Scottish football that when we see a decision like that and it doesn't go in our favour, you go, well, VAR would have got that right. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't, because you're, you're still relying on someone else looking at it. I think all it will mean is it will change the discourse and change the, the disagreements. So we'll be sitting here going, well, how come VR didn't see that, <laughs> as opposed to how come the officials? It's, that's just... We'll all still have something to moan about, won't we? Oh, absolutely. I think even more so, actually, with VAR. <laughs> um, I think you touched on it earlier on. You need to talk about Hitati's goal, an absolute screamer. He had a chance, kind of similar in the first half, where he smashed the post. We saw that a couple of occasions last season from Hatate, particularly that goal at Tynecastle. 
against Hearts. I mean, he's when he's on his game like that, and you give him that that bit of space, he's so deadly. Yeah, I mean, I think when you particularly what I always like when you you know we've got the benefit of replays during the game when we're doing the commentary, and not obviously the the angle behind Tatati for both goals, is you can see the swerve on it. Like for the first one, it kind of moved, so the goalkeeper's never going to get it, and we were really unlucky with that one. And the second one again, it's just. I think it's the power and the precision as well. It just takes the goalkeeper by surprise. It's, I mean, it's like an absolute rocket. And, you know, to win a game with a goal like that's great. I did feel kind of sorry for him at the end because obviously he came off <laughs> and he looked absolutely gutted because it was obviously his back, back yeah. pass that put us into trouble, led to the red card. And I think even at the end of the game, where normally you're thinking he's a, he's a decent game, he's scored a great goal, we've won the three points, but then he's probably thinking, oh, quite quite and see Callum McGregor after this. <laughs> Well, you touched on McGregor. Obviously, he's going to be missing for the, the next match when we play in the league anyway against St Johnston next Saturday, lunchtime kickoff. Um, just kind of looking ahead to that one before we get on to Leipzig. McGregor's going to be a massive miss, but still, we should have enough, shouldn't we? Yeah, it's, do you know what's really interesting, actually? Because the manager had touched on it beforehand, before the game. That, that was the first of 13 games that we're going to play between now and November the 12th. So every player is going to have to play their part because there's no way that you can play the same 11 players because it's, you know, effectively Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. And at the level we're playing and asking the players to play, that's a lot. Probably want the one player that, that you wouldn't have dropped simply because he's such a key player and he just seems to play all the time anyway is Callum McGregor. But it's almost an enforced, it's an enforced rest for him that actually, yeah. in a strange way, will get that benefit of the fact he's then refreshed for the following midweek. It just means that players... Because obviously, even if it wasn't a red card, there are times where we saw it last season. He's picked up an injury. Other players have to step in, and and that's that's what's required. So the, whoever the manager plays in that position, then they just have to, to pick up the mantle for. Him. Yeah, it could be an opportunity for Abelgard. He came on right at the end there, getting his debut. So it could be a chance for his first start or or Aaron Moy as well. But yeah, there's definitely plenty of options in in the bench and, and in the squads to to cope with that. Uh, looking ahead now to Wednesday night, Champions League away to, to RB Leipzig. I, I know you're going over to it. You looking forward to, to the, the test? I know you've been over there before. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time we went, it was it was quite disappointing. It was one of those classic European ties. When you took the two games, the game here against them, we were really good and thoroughly deserved to win. And over there, you just, you never felt you were in the game. You always felt that they were always in control. I think we're a different proposition now anyway and you know you saw from the last game the last away game which we, we probably should have won that game in, in Poland against Donetsk I think it's going to be a tough game I think obviously Leipzig they've, they've had a bit of a, a rocky patch they sacked the manager they won 4-0 at the weekend so maybe that that steadies their, their nerves gives them a wee bit of confidence yeah. I, I, I know Bochum we'd spoke about it before they're maybe not the best team in the Bundesliga but you know you're winning 4-0 at home Timo Werner get a couple of goals, so that there may be a wee bit of confidence there. It's, it's, you always want to win the game. It's an absolute must-win for Leipzig, which I don't know if that will change the way they play. They really have to go for it, because if, if we win that game, I mean, they're effectively out, out the running, because that'll have been three defeats in a row. And I think the way we're going to go, as, as the manager said, is we're going to go and play our, our football, because that's how we get tested, uh, and try and win that game. So I... I think it's going to be an exciting game. It's, it'll be a hard game, as, as all games in Germany are for us, but you know, I think we still have to go into it full of confidence. Why is it always when we are turning up to play these teams, that's when they score four goals and their two main strikers get a couple each? It's, it's always the case. But as you said, if we can get a result, even a, even a draw 
if we can get a draw in, in, in Germany and then come back and beat Leipzig, again, that pretty much knocks them out of the equation and it leaves just ourselves and, and Shakhtar Donetsk. But if we can go there and win, again, that just completely knocks them out of the equation. So there's quite a lot riding on this game. It's a really important one for Leipzig, but also for us. Yeah, and as I say, because it is a must-win game for them, it's, it'll be an interesting approach because obviously they'll have watched Celtic, not only just in the two Champions League games, but in general. And I think the danger is, because of the way we play, is if you just, regardless of your quality, if you just go gung-ho, we've got the players and the style of play to really hurt you and, and hit you on the break. And, you know, it's very rare that we go any games and we don't score. So I think that they've got to bear that in mind as well. So it's, I mean, it is so hard to, to predict. You know, I think the, the first game that Leipzig had when they lost 4-1 against Shakhtar Donetsk, I'm not sure if that was maybe a, a fair reflection on the on the actual game and the, and the balance of the game. I think Shakhtar just that night, I think they had four, was it four, four or five chances and scored with four yeah, of them. Yeah, so, goals were a bit kind of deflections and, you know, yeah. things just kind of bounced in their favour. So we just need a wee bit of, of luck, I think. Certainly the manager, I'm sure, he said he'll they'll assess Cameron Carter-Vickers over the next 24, 48 hours and hopefully have him back in the squad. Um, you know, Jackie Marcus, I think, might be back in again for, for Wednesday. But again, like, touching on that, that kind of heavy fixture schedule, that's, that's going to happen as well as maybe suspensions. You're going to get injuries in the fact that our guys were away international duty as well. So whoever's called upon, um, it's going to be tough, but... I still think I go into these games now. I'm looking forward to them. There's a sense of optimism, and you know, from the first two games, we were disappointed with the result against Real Madrid. The performance was excellent. Ironically, we, we go away, and normally a, a point away from home is great. But you're, you're coming away from that thinking we should have won because mm -hmm. we were the better team. So the signs are really positive, I think. Yeah. Well, let's get the lowdown on RB Leipzig from. Derek Gray, a voice you might all know very well from his time commentating the games in Scotland. He's now over in Germany commentating there and he can give us all the lowdown on RB Leipzig. Yeah, absolutely delighted to say that we have former commentator for BT Sport for Scottish football and now working primarily on German football for ESPN and the Bundesliga. We have Derek Gray, Derek, very, very pleased to have you along looking up to this big game between Celtic and RB Leipzig. First of all, just how are you and how, how are you excited for this game? Well, thanks for having me, first of all, Ryan. Looking forward to this game, of course, as a Scot, as somebody who used to cover Celtic week in, week out. And as you've said, as a Bundesliga commentator, pretty much 90% of the time nowadays, and I always secretly hope that we'll have Scottish and German teams together. So here we are talking about um, the first of two very important matches for both sides. So, yeah, looking forward to, to following and, and discussing. Yeah, let's just take a little look then at RB Leipzig at the moment. The weekend they had a, a 4-0 victory over Bochum and Derek I know you're one a stickler for pronunciation so if I get anything wrong at all please just do let me know um, but a 4-0 win over, over Bochum a couple of goals for uh, Timo Werner and for Nkunku as well are Leipzig just starting to fire at the right time? Well I think first of all it, it would be wrong to read too much into the win over Bochum and you did say it perfectly uh, it helps actually being a Scot for a lot of German names because we organically make that sound that uh, people from many other cultures just can't make. So, um, yeah, this game was always likely to be 
one-sided, and uh, so it was. I, I think it's been interesting to look at Leipzig in the last few weeks. They were a bit shambolic at times in the early part of the season when Domenico Tedesco was still the coach. And the biggest shambles of all really was against Shakhtar in the Champions League. And, you know, that was the end for Tedesco. So they've got Marco Rosa in there now. Now, a few things to know about Marco Rosa. He's from the city of Leipzig itself. So he, he knows the local culture. He also knows what we would call the RB or the RB culture. And I think most people are familiar with the fact that RB have been involved in the sport in the last few years with a view to trying to, let's face it, promote their own commercial brand. Uh, but it extends, of course, not just through Leipzig, but down to Salzburg, across to the USA, to the team there and MLS. And so they do try to keep that philosophy working at all levels. Now, Rosa does come from that philosophical, philosophical well, I can't say it, but too early in the day here, philosophical background. Um, because, of course, he was at Salzburg as well. And um, so what they're trying to do, if you like, is, and we can maybe get into this, they're trying to get back to what they were, but not too much because, without overcomplicating things, when Jesse Marsh came in to be the coach last season, it was argued that he had changed them too much and had taken them back in time too much to making them more of a basic counter-pressing side, whereas when Julian Nagelsmann was in charge, they've become a possession team, certainly a lot better in possession. So that's quite a long-winded answer um, on the back of what you asked about, about Bochum. But uh, in beating Bochum, it sort of underlines that they are finding their confidence again. Uh, but it will be a step up in, uh, in quality facing Celtic over Bochum. No doubt about that. Yeah, if we look at the, the table... So far this season and Leipzig's results, I think they're 11th in the Bundesliga at this moment in time. And the Champions League currently sitting bottom of the group without any points. If you could just sort of give us a brief outline as to how their season has, has gone so far. And as you think you said there, a slight disappointment at this moment in time. I'm certainly disappointed with the overall um, points total with, you know, the... The sequence of matches, particularly in that early part of the campaign. I was with them. I was in Leipzig for the, the very first competitive match of the season against Bayern, which was the Super Cup, the, the German Super Cup, the traditional meeting of cup winners and Bundesliga champions. And they weren't at it at all in the first half against Bayern. They improved in the second half. But, um, you know, I think you never quite know with that game because teams are not quite into their, their rhythm so early in the season. It's, that was still the end of July. But uh, what happened after that really, I think, disappointed most people who, who've watched Leipzig a lot because it, it was almost un-Leipzig-like what was happening. And, you know, the results weren't there, the performances weren't there. And, you know, we immediately began to ask questions about Domenico Tedesco. And this is the, the bizarre thing, you know, Ryan. In the second half of last season, they'd been the best team in the Bundesliga. They had brought consistency... Um, and everybody seemed pretty comfortable under Tedesco, but it, it just, you know, for whatever reason, this can happen in football with any club, it, it went the wrong way, and uh, just too many really ordinary performances started against Stuttgart away, um, which certainly was a match that they had expected to win, 
but didn't. Kern at home, another one, you know, frustrating game and held 2-2. And then Union, who, if you like, Union are, are sort of the, the anti-Leipzig uh, in terms of how they believe the game should be played, in terms of maybe some of the ideas off the pitch. And it was a bit of a lesson for, for Leipzig in efficiency from the other team. Leipzig had possession, couldn't do anything with it. And Union, um, the team that have surprised so many this season, um, beating them 2-1. I watched them against Wolfsburg, um, commentated on them in their home game against Wolfsburg for the Bundesliga World Feed after that. And they were better. That was certainly their the best performance up until that point. Um, but, you know, then they... they got thrashed by Eintracht Frankfurt, you know, and they got thrashed by Shakhtar. And it was clear that it just wasn't going to happen anymore with Tedesco. That was that was it. They drew a line under that. Now, Rosa has come in. Um, interestingly, his first couple of matches in the Bundesliga uh, were against his former clubs. So uh, Dortmund, first of all, and they wiped the floor with Dortmund. Again, playing what to me looked like a bit of an old or older style RB game, you know, sort of allowing Dortmund to make their mistakes and build up and then just ruthlessly capitalizing. Um, but then it was the opposite experience the following week in Gladbach when they deservedly lost 3-0 and uh, were not in that game. In between time, they played Real Madrid away in the Champions League and, and I thought there were some green shoots for them there, uh, even though they lost the game ultimately. I, I thought they actually played not too badly in that game and uh, were able to to stay with Real Madrid for periods of it. And we've spoken about Bochum. Um, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into it, but confidence can be a big thing. And when Timo Werner scores twice and Christopher Nkunku scores twice, then that's obviously going to do your, your confidence a power of good. So I hope I painted the picture of this really mixed bag for a team that, I mean, let's be honest, a team that should be, based on squad strength, should be in the top, four at a minimum in the Bundesliga and some would actually say and have said for a while should be the second best team in the Bundesliga. Let's look primarily on this fixture against Celtic then and, and Leipzig's threats, how they can threaten Celtic and how Celtic can threaten them. First of all from a Leipzig point of view it's, it's clearly a big game for them they haven't won a game yet or got a point yet in the Champions League but in terms of their threats I think we all focus on Werner and Kunku, Sobislai, are they the, the three main men or is there anyone else or any other aspects of the game that could hurt Celtic? Well, individual quality certainly is a factor here. You know, So you do have to talk about these individuals who can decide a game. And Kunku um, is obviously top of the tree in, in terms of individual quality. And as we're talking now, you know, the, the Chelsea link for next season is, is very much seems to be, you know, seems to have been cemented. But that's for the future. Um, you know, they went to great lengths to make sure that they had him on board for another year. And he can do the lot. You know, he's one of these attacking talents who can beat you in so many different ways. And it takes a lot of defensive acumen to stop him. Um, because he's got, as I said, the lot. He's got the, the skill to um, to dribble past an opponent. He's got the pace. He's got the finishing ability. Uh, he has assists in his game, so he'll um, selflessly set up others, not just about scoring goals himself. He's that kind of complete forward, you know, that complete all-around forward, you could say, who really can play across the line, um, but uh, is, is a handful and will expose any defensive weaknesses in the opposition. So you've, you've got him and you've got Timo Werner now who seems 
fresher, seems to have benefited from the move back to Leipzig. You remember that he prospered in Leipzig earlier in his career, um, went to England. And if you talk to people who watched him for Chelsea a lot, they'll say, no, you know, didn't really fit there so well. But he's in an environment where he's comfortable. And so, uh, you know, the thing about Vienna is that he used to score so many of his goals against um, teams playing a high line, just a simple chip ball over the top after that ball-winning situation that I spoke to before for Leipzig, where they win the ball near the halfway line or just over it. Little chip ball over the top. And it would seem eight times out of ten, he would just have the capacity to outrace the opposition and, and put it away. Um, he's not quite the confident goal scorer now that he was, but as I mentioned, a couple of goals at the weekend. And, and then you get into the others. Um, you know, Danny Olmo has been injured and is still injured. So, I mean, that's a good thing for Celtic because uh, he's the kind of player I sometimes just watch him for two or three minutes and his movement and his passing ability and his reading of the game and uh, knows how to, to pick a pass, knows how to time his runs. So the fact that he's not there, um, that certainly helps Celtic. Somos Lai is one of these players who you can sometimes forget about for 10, 15 minutes and then he'll burst back onto the scene with, with something remarkable. Um, you got to really look out for his free kicks from weird positions. You know, you'll sometimes see a free kick from the angle on the left and you'll think, okay, all right, the, the fence should have this covered. And, you know, there was a game against um, Stuttgart last season that I was commentating on and ended up, you know, scoring from one of those positions. You know, so, so he has these kind of goals in his repertoire. Don't be surprised if he, if he tries his luck from... Uh, from a seemingly impossible angle from from 30 metres out or something like that. I think what I'm trying to say here is that they're not a team with obvious weaknesses. You know, they're not a team where you would say that player is terrible or this player is not up to the standards. You know, that there's a good standard across this squad. And um, we have to also mention the goalkeeper and captain Peter Gulacci, who has been one of the most consistent keepers in German football for some time. And, and this is perhaps the one thing about Leipzig. The squad from top to bottom is strong. Um, they do have options if players get injured. And, you know, I would go along with the view that in terms of squad strength, they are up there with the best in Germany, almost as good as Bayern, maybe better in terms of, um, you know, 20, 21 players, uh, not the first 11. First 11 is obviously not uh, not Bayern standard. That would be, be stretching things. I'm sure, Derek, you're still keeping tracks on Scottish football and, and Celtic. So, so two questions in one here. First of all, how can Celtic pressure RB Leipzig? And secondly, what's the, what's the view in Germany on, on Celtic? Well, I'll answer the second one first. I think the view on Celtic is, um, without people in Germany knowing an awful lot about the ins and outs of how they play week in, week out, because they're obviously not watching Scottish football, um, there's respect. You know, I, I think this always uh, is mentioned when Celtic draw a, a team from Germany. There is always respect because I think there's a feeling that we're in a world of, of football nowadays where things are not always authentic. And you hear it actually from coaches up and down the league. I remember Christian Streich, uh, the Freiburg coach, when they qualified for Europe a few years ago, didn't actually make it into the group stage, but he was just talking sort of romantically, and he's a bit of a romantic figure, uh, about um, who he might like to draw. And, you know, with a, a sort of a mischievous smile on his face, he said Celtic. He said, I really want, he said, I really want to coach at Celtic Park. He goes, one thing, you know, from my bucket list that I'd love to do is coach at Celtic Park just once, but I'd like to do it just to, to say I've done it. And 
you know, this is kind of a common theme, and and I hear it from, um, you know, from people up and down the league who work for clubs, not even uh, in a playing capacity, who who will say, yeah, you know, the high one of the highlights was that European trip we had to uh, to Celtic. I, I hear it from from Gladbach supporting friends, from uh, Leverkusen um, uh, related friends that uh, that was a terrific experience, and um, so so I think that is part of it. I think people enjoy. Um, drawing Celtic, not because they think necessarily that they're easy meat, because certainly they're not, but I think there is that romantic factor about about Celtic. In terms of how you play Leipzig, it's really hard. I mean, I I think that when I when I think about the the Leipzig Dortmund game recently, um, Dortmund to me in that match they sort of played into Leipzig's hands, and even though Leipzig are this possession team or more of a possession team nowadays, but still. Not entirely that because of the, the reasons that we discussed earlier. I almost think that you sit and wait for your moments against Leipzig. And I thought that actually Shakhtar did that particularly well uh, in the, the game in the Champions League. So I, it's a different coach. There'll be some differences, but I would think Celtic would be having a look at that. And I, I think at the same time that they'd be having a look at that Dortmund game because uh, what Dortmund did in that game was how not to play Leipzig. You know, was to think that you can um, you can build up confidently from the back. You can sort of be a bit cocky and casual, and then Leipzig are not going to take advantage of that uh, when you lose possession or if you lose possession. So, so I think those are the the things. But um, they have been so moody this season, Leipzig, that it's it's actually quite hard to to give a proper read on what might happen in this game. And and I'm genuinely unsure. When the draw was made, I, I thought um, that's hard for Celtic. I thought mm, that that these are two difficult games because Leipzig, you know, different proposition um, potentially uh, in a few weeks' time because they'd started badly, uh, but they won't be that bad forever. But um, yeah, I, I, I think um, it could go any number of ways. I, I, I would have thought that Celtic, uh, while having the confidence to be able to play their way through Leipzig, will feel that early on it's important to be compact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a really exciting one, Derek. Celtic, a, a team that always like to attack as well, and, and by all accounts from what you're saying there, Leipzig very, very similar, and we're all very much looking forward to it. Thank you very much for, for taking out the time to, to join us and, and give us a lowdown on, on RB Leipzig, and I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up again at some point afterwards. Thanks, Ryan. Good to be with you and enjoy the game. Actually, enjoy both games. There we go. That was Derek Ray there. Now, Paul, the B team were also in action on the weekend. They played away from home against Gala Ferry team. They won 4-3. It seemed like a really dramatic game, winning in the 89th minute from a goal from, from Adam Brooks as well. Interesting, though, that after the match, Steve McManus talking about the performance levels, maybe weren't at the level they hoped for, even though they got a result, still happy with that. But at that level, it's the B team this season it seems to really be more about the performances over the results. Yeah, and I think, you know, traditionally that's always been the, the kind of philosophy. You know, that's been the idea with the reserve team or the B team or the youth team or however you want to, to describe it, the one step down from the first team, because although you want to get into that winning habit and that's it's a good habit to get because they're going to have to have that if they get to the first team, it is about you know showing that they've got that performance level, and particularly you know this season because everything's aligned with how the first team train, how the first team play. Then it's important for these players that they're playing in a certain manner, but also with a certain standard as well. Because 
they are just one removed from the first team. If you know, we've seen it in the past. You know, a certain set of circumstances arise, and suddenly a player is, finds himself in the squad or perhaps in the team. And you've, you know, it's interesting that you know I've been doing a book with Callum McGregor, and and he makes that point is that you have to be ready because you never know when that moment's going to arise when you're given that opportunity in the first team. And when it happens, you have to take it because you might only get that one chance, but that could be the one chance that makes your career. So I think it's really good the way that the B team is, is in sync with the first team. And that's maybe where, as looking at it as fans, we see this thrilling, you know, a seven-goal thriller, we win the goal in the last minute, and that's great, and it's great for the players and the fans, but then the coaches have got more exacting standards because they're saying, well, that's not good enough because we want the performance to, to link up with the result. And I, I think that then challenges the players more and hopefully, I suppose the theory is that then that makes them better players and mm. become first-team Celtic players. Yeah. It's still always nice to, to get a, a win and to get it in such dramatic yeah, fashion. Yeah. And one player I kind of want to, to touch upon, obviously the goal scorers are the ones that always get the headlines. Adam Brooks got two and scored in the last minute as well. He's had a... He's had a really good season so far for the B team. Looks so energetic, lots of pace as well, and and maybe one of those players that could be kind of pushing and, and chapping on the door to, to try and get into that sort of first team mix and into training soon. Yeah, I think any time you, you watch the B team, that's his pace is is one of his great strengths, and I think that's probably one of the things that I'm guessing is for, for players because there's a lot that you, the coaches can teach them in terms of technique and position, etc you can't give someone pace, they've either got it or they've not. There's obviously some things that you can do in terms of strength and etc. but he's got that burst of pace and you can see he's got that energy and he's obviously a really good finisher as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that would have been, that would have done his confidence a power of good as well, just getting those two goals. So next up for the Bs, they're also travelling to Germany to face RB Leipzig in the UEFA Youth League. At the moment, they're without a victory in their first two games, had a heavy defeat at home to Real Madrid, which was a, a really disappointing afternoon, but it was, it, was, it was difficult with going down to 10 men. The weather was atrocious that day um, in Airdrie. Second game away to Shakhtar, it was a, a narrow 2-1 defeat. But speaking to the B-team players, speaking to, to Stephen and to Darren, they were so pleased with the performance in that afternoon and really feel like they should have got something out of it. So it'll be another test for them away to RB Leipzig. But this UEFA Youth League seems to be a real opportunity to, to get some vital learning. Yeah, and, and particularly at that stage of their development, that's I suppose it's the same for the first team. You're playing at a higher level, so you're testing yourself against better players and better teams. So the theory is it should make you better. Particularly, I think, at B-team level, you're playing against some of the best players, young players in Europe. I think, the, the, to your point, the Real Madrid game, it, it was so... I mean, I thought the sending off was... I, I thought it was a poor decision, mm-hmm. and that it kind of hindered them. The conditions were ridiculous. They are also playing against one of the best youth teams in Europe yeah. as well. And it just, nothing went right that day. But, you know, what, what we were talking about earlier on in terms of sometimes the performance is more important than the result. And I think that the Shakhtar game was a case in point that, you know, there's a sense probably the players came off it. And initially they're probably feeling a bit despondent because they, they didn't get what they deserved. But then I think once they analyse it and the coaches go through it, then actually what they've been shown every day or what they've been taught or what they're training every day it's going into that game so that was a positive it's going to be tough again against Leipzig there's absolutely no doubt about it but you know I think if they can get the performance from the, the last game maybe a wee bit more luck then then hopefully they can get something out of that game 
Well, before the B team flew out to Germany to face RB Leipzig, I caught up with B team captain Matthew Anderson. Matthew, good to see you. Good to see you. How are you? you well? Well, aye, good. Very good, very good. Um, it's interesting, Matthew, because last week we had uh, Rachel Johnson and Lucy Ashworth Clifford from, from the women's team. And at the weekend before that, Lucy scored and it was perfect timing her coming on the podcast. We've got you in the podcast and you just scored at the weekend as well. Perfect so it's a bit of a running, running theme. It has to be, aye. And you, you del it was delayed a few times, so um, looks as if you're waiting for me to score. I know, we've been trying to get you on for a wee while, but you've been difficult to get on. You've been a busy man. Because I've not been scoring, that's why. <laughs> i tell you what though, this season you have been scoring quite a few, but take us to the game at the weekend. 4-3, it seemed a bit of an end-to-end -end battle. Yeah, it was actually 1-0 until 60th minute or so. Um, I came on for the last 30 minutes, me and Brooksy, I think, and um, ended up 4-3, so I got all the action. <laughs> and your goal as well, I, I had a look back at today, it's an absolute screamer. Where, where are these coming from this season? I mean, to be fair, the manager likes the full-backs up high, um, so I just end up in positions where I can score, and um, aye, luckily I've, a few have went in. Yeah, you've scored quite a few this season, I remember the First game in the season, uh, the Lowland League, I was, I was there and you scored a couple in, in that day as well. I remember speaking to you after the game, you're like, this is unusual for me. So is this just a newfound form for you? Still unusual, I have to say. <laughs> um, I was surprised when it went in, but I just went with it. Yeah. Is it something you've been working on quite a lot then? You're finishing, as you're saying, you're getting into that higher position a lot more. Yeah, I just work on more attacking positions. Obviously, I'm in more attacking positions, so I have to work on my attacking game. Um, so it's just yeah the whole team the whole team are working on whatever the style of play is so yeah so this season in general the the lonely campaign how how do you think things have been going obviously a victory there at the weekend but your overall assessment so far it's been good um, not all the results we wanted but I think it's it's easy to see now we're playing the exact same way as the first team so I think we're actually playing really well and. I think we could be end really well this season. Mm -hmm. Has that been a big thing, this campaign, is like trying to mirror the first team and tell us how that kind of works in training? Yeah, I think um, Darren and Mick are really close with the manager. So um, you can see when we play, it's really, it is really mirroring the first team. And um, I think it's working now as well. Yeah. So is that a case of then like the training sessions you do will be the same ones that the first team do? Or do you still have your own little kind of nuances as well? I think well? it's a bit of both. We do mirror the first team. Obviously, I get the opportunity to go um, pre-season for a bit with the first team. Mm -hmm. So the training is really similar. Of course, it's really intense as well. So, How was that pre-season for you? It was good. Aye, it was a really good experience. Uh, just seeing how the first team work, all the first team players as well, it's really intense, but it was a good experience. Is there anything you take away from that that was like, that was quite a big eye-opener for me? Maybe some think, training or...? I think it would be the intensity. To, Intensity of the training. Um, honestly, every single one of them works so hard, and so do we. But I think it's just because they're so used to it, and they've some of them have had their careers for ten years or whatever, and you can see that in training. Yeah, that must be a good thing for you though, when you have that experience to then take it back into the B team training. Like, do you find yourself finding those improvements yeah. from that? Yeah, yeah, and they're all really friendly as well. So. In training, they'd talk us all through it. All the young boys, they'd talk us through it and stuff like that. So they were really good with us. Yeah, you're speaking up there a, a little bit about the results so far this season. But 
any time speak to Stephen or to Darren, there could be a game that you lost, but they're really positive, or listening to Stephen at the weekend saying the performance maybe wasn't quite there, even though you got the result. So from your point of view, is that performance aspect more important at this age? I think that's the way we are looking at it, because I know we um, last youth league game, we played really well against Shakhtar. We obviously didn't get the result we wanted, but that was a really good performance. And obviously at the weekend, we didn't play as well as we know we could have, but we got the result. So yeah, I think it's, a bit, it's almost more important than the result sometimes. Youth League games up next against RB Leipzig. You touched on that. Shakhtar games, we've had two games already. Real Madrid won at home, sort of difficult afternoon, difficult conditions, going down to 10 men. But that Shakhtar game really seemed to, to show more about what this team can offer. So when you're going into that Leipzig game on Wednesday, what's the, the confidence levels like? As, as I was speaking about, we played really well against Shakhtar, so the confidence levels aren't damaged at all. The boys know that it's it's a must win. We need to win if we want a chance of getting out of the group. And um, we have full belief, it, belief, so confidence levels are high. What's the youth league been like for you so far? As talking about going into the first team training, that intensity going up, has it been similar going into the youth league when you're playing against the best people at your age group? Yeah, and it's it's so different to the Lowland League. It's really good for our development because we're, we're almost playing midweek against a team that's the same age as us, but top. Um, but then we're playing against the Lowland League where it's experience and physicality. So we're getting best, best of both worlds. And you're getting that. I've heard a lot of the times Stephen and Darren talking about mirroring what the first team do. So you spoke about that in terms of the training, but also that aspect of Travelling as well, is that quite an important aspect for you as well? Yeah, yeah we're not used to that as well. Um, from when we were younger, we've been on tournaments abroad and stuff like that, but travelling and then almost training the next day, it's it's hard to get used to, but we're going to need to deal with that if we want a career. Yeah, looking forward to the match anyway. Um, just want to touch a little bit on you and, and your Celtic career to date. Just kind of give us a, a bit of a run through about when, when you joined and, and your progress so far. So I joined when I was, I trialled when I was eight. Okay. I didn't manage to get in. Right, okay. So I ended up, I played with Motherwell for four or five years and then Celtic signed me when I was 13 and I've been here from then on. Mm -hmm. And this season, is your, was it your first season as captain? Yeah. Of the, of the, of the B team, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that moment like when you... Tell us, actually, talk us through it about getting a phone call or, or what happened. It was, it was, um, it was a pre-season game. So I was just back from the first team pre-season, and we were playing against Stoke away, I think it was. Um, and Darren Mick just told me I will be captain for this game, and from then on, I've just been captain every game. So what was that like for you to be told you were going to be be captain? Is it quite proud? Yeah, really proud. But um, Darren told me. Dan and Mick were speaking to me, they both said they don't want me to change my game at all. Just play the way I do usually and act the way I usually do. So, yeah, it was it was a proud moment. Because I was going to ask you, when you get the captain's armband, are you kind of having a bit more of a personal joke with the guys, kind of ushering them around a wee bit more? Nah, no? I, don't, I don't take the high ground yeah. or anything, no. <laughs> Not even as a joke at times? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. <laughs> they have a joke with me though and pretend <laughs> that I'm higher, but... <laughs> what type of things do they say to you? 
Um, a few of them sometimes call me Skip and stuff like that, and I'm like, you don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what about the... How are Arlecan at the dressing room and the lads in, in the dressing room as well? It seems to be like a real good team spirit as, as well. We were just talking off camera about, about your car school. Any any kind of good stories from that? What's, what's that like? But, see, to be fair, I think most, most, morning, most mornings everyone's sleeping in the car, <laughs> uh, getting up early, sometimes going to the gym before training, so everyone's, everyone's zonked it. And then after training, we've had a hard session, so everyone's sleeping still. I wish I was in their position. <laughs> so who's in your who's in your car? It's me, Rocco, Ben Summers, and Justin. Right. Okay. So there's no because you always see your stories about car schools. That's where all the the mischief goes down and everything. But your car's pretty sensible. It's calm, aye. It's right, calm. It's good for you when you're a driver, I suppose. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But in terms of just the the group in general, I mean, it seems like a real motivated group. That can only be good for, for all of you when you're trying to sort of reach that next level that you're surrounded by people that are all wanting to make that step forward and everyone's everyone's always trying to get better every day as well so you see people in the gym in the morning and now it is packed in the morning just everyone try to get better all the time mm -hmm. it's a good it's a good environment we're in what are your ambitions for the season and then kind of looking after that as well just for for you personally i'm sure the ambition is to get into the first team do you set yourself any targets at all it's that's for long term of course i think everyone in the team is the same but it sounds cliche but it is taking every game as it comes and try to play as well as you can and train as hard as you can mm -hmm. and just be ready for the opportunity yeah yeah but things are going well for you so far this season anyway so hopefully that opportunity will come uh, matthew what we do at the every time we've got a guest on if you put them through a 60 second quiz, so it's a, a quiz maybe looking at things about yourself, teammates, about the club yeah. in general. So far the high score is 8, which eight. Carter Vickers okay. got. Okay. So, do you think you could beat that? We'll see, we'll see. Right, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick 60 seconds on the clock on my watch here. And we'll put you through your paces, right? Are you ready? Three, so. two, one. You made your first appearance for the first team against which team in pre-season? Pass. Oh, do you remember what the score was in that game? 7-0. Seven 7-0, nil. Seven nil, yep, correct. You scored two goals in the opening day of the Lone League season against which team? Kevin Beath. Yep. Toby Oluwayemi joined from which club? Tottenham. Yep. Joey Dawson also signed from which club? Scunthorpe. Yes. <laughs> Name the two teams you've beaten in the SPFL Trust this season. Livingston B. Yep. Albion Rovers. Yes. Against which team have you scored six goals against this season as a team? Stirling Uni. Yep. How many goals has Boston Lowell scored this season? Six. Five. Your coach Steve McManus left Celtic in 2010 for which team? Motherwell. Nope. Middlesbrough. Daniel Day left permanently in 2012 for which team? Leeds Ah, uh, Toronto I'll give you one more The first team clinched the league Last season against which team? Away from home, do you remember that? Rangers? No, Dundee United Six Six you got Poor knowledge for me Ah uh, you, you need to scratch up for the next time That's for sure <laughs> Matthew, brilliant to have you on Thanks very Pleasure. much and All the best for going over to Germany Thanks for having me No worries Cheers Thank you
On Sunday, the women's team were also in action as they started their League Cup defence away to Partick Thistle and got a 2-0 victory to move into the next round. Paul, it's different for the women's team this year. Obviously, last year they got their first trophy in, I think it was about 10 or 11 years. This year, they're the ones that are having to defend it, so they've got that mark on their back. It's a different pressure on them, but great to see them get into that next round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two early goals, and then that was the, the game over. Um, and I, I think, obviously, in the cup tie, it's just important to get through to the next round. And I'm sure, given the fact that we won both trophies, both of the cups last year, that they'll be desperate to to continue, you know, defend them and, and hopefully do even better in the league. But I, I think, is I think, you know, for that team, I think it's, it's good again to challenge them. The fact that, you know, take on the pressure of being the cup holders. You know, don't. You know, just embrace it. Don't don't be scared of it. I, I, you know, just even from watching your podcast last week with with the, the, the all about the women's team, I think I don't get the impression as if it, that they're intimidated or they're inhibited by it. I think they've just embraced it and they actually want to use it as a stepping stone to hopefully go on and and, and win the league. So, I, I you know it was obviously brilliant last season to win those two trophies, and they, they've certainly started the season really well. I think you know. As the girls said last week, they would lost some key players, but I think some of the players that have come in, uh, Lucy Ashworth Clifford, who was obviously one of the stars of the the, the podcast last <laughs> week, apart from yourself, obviously, but, and, and Rachel Johnson, but the you know players like her have come in and just hit the ground running, and you know any time you see them, they, you know there's a lot of real positivity within the squad, and they're sharing the goals about as well, which I think is really encouraging. It's a couple of clear messages that are, I feel like are coming out from the women's team this year. One is about consistency. They showed last year they can beat any team on any given day. They had to beat Hibs, Glasgow City and Rangers to win the, the Cups. And it's just about getting that consistency in the league to then go and challenge. But last year, I think when you spoke to people about trying to challenge for the league, they maybe felt like it was a year too early. This year, they seem to really be embracing that pressure to go on to defend the Cups and to go in and try and challenge for the league. Whether they do it or not, obviously we'll wait and see, but they really seem to be taking that pressure on, which is which is good to see, that real sort of positive energy in the team. Yeah, the two things that stand out for me is, and again, last season, you know, Charlie Wellen scored all these goals, so you can't help but talk about the fact that she was the, the main goal-scoring threat. She's obviously left, and I think particularly uh, Clarissa Larissey and Jacinta have stepped up, and both of them, are scoring more goals because they're, they're both kind of playing centrally, and that's been I think that's been a real key part of the, the fact that at the start of the season we're doing so well. The other part of it is we're not losing any goals, mm-hmm. so obviously we're scoring goals. So all the goal scorers and the people that are creating the goals are maybe getting a lot of the headlines, but the fact is we're not losing any goals. So you're halfway to winning a game already, and that, I think that's that's been really encouraging. It's maybe going under the radar. The big tests, as I'm sure Fran Alonso is telling the team, and the team will know anyway, are still to come when we play Glasgow City and we play Rangers. But everything that's been put in front of us so far, you know, we've passed with flying colours. So whenever we do get to these games, there's going to be real confidence within the squad. Yeah, there's no game for the women's team this weekend because it's international break and there's actually a, it's a really big game for Scotland on Thursday for their their playoff for the, the European Championships at home to, to Austria. But if you do want to, to learn more about the women's team, then do catch up in last week's podcast episode from myself. I was joined by Rachel Johnson and Lucy Ashworth-Clifford and we focus on all things women's team. Um, but speaking about Lucy, she's the next guest on our My Game, My Words series where each week 
a member of the women's team tells us their journey from childhood to where they are today. So let's watch Lucy's now. As a child, I always loved football. I was a massive Manchester United fan um, and got kits pretty much every season. Um, I would play football with my nan in the garden. I think that's how I started getting into it and then I moved on from there. We, I started with boys as well, so that brought out a bit of toughness. I spent every day with my nan and granddad, like I'd say they're like my parents more. They was just always looked after me and picked me up from school and that's just what I knew. Um, and just spending time with them was like the best and I still do it now. So when I go home, that's who I want to go and see the most. And then my granddad's like obsessed with my football, so just keep playing for him basically. I remember going to a women's game actually, I think it was England against Sweden. Uh, that was like a local one. Um, I think that was quite cool because like England women, I didn't really know about it. Um, I remember going to a few Manchester United games and that's, it reminds me a bit of Celtic uh, at Old Trafford when like the crowd gets going, like the atmosphere is unreal, so. I think when I was at 11, I got uh, scouted for Man United when I was playing in high school, so that was a highlight. Um, I really didn't want to go to the trials and like, I'm a bit rubbish with stuff like that. Like I, didn't, I don't want to progress. Like, at the time, I didn't want to progress. I was happy where I was, but uh, like this is why I say my granddad's like a big role model, because he forced me to go and he like took me to the trials and made sure I went and I was like one of the first people picked, so. So I started with the boys and then I went to Wigan and I was playing there for a bit and I was comfortable and then I got the Manchester United thing and then at the time they didn't have a women's team for like a good number of years until um, I think like 2018 or something. Um, so once I hit 17 I had to leave um, and I went to Manchester City so I felt like a bit of a traitor but the, the team that I loved not having a women's team to progress into was one challenge then when you hit 17 you kind of just like not chucked out the door but you kind of like, there's nowhere else, so you just have to leave and go to something new and leave your mates and what you know. And then at that age, it's like you either push on into the first team or you're just kind of stuck at the level you're at. I always wanted to go to America, I just didn't know whether I wanted to go and play like professional or go to university. Um, like from a little girl, I always said that. It was like, that was a process because you had to find the school that you wanted um, or wanted you. And I went, you can go over for like 48 hours and look at a school. So basing the next four years off your life on 48 hours is a bit scary, but I think I made the right decision. And the coach of the school that I went to came over and met my family and sent postcards. So they really go above and beyond. As a freshman, um, I went in doing nutrition and dietetics. It was obviously hard leaving my family. Uh, my mum came over with me for the first like two weeks to help me settle in. And um, we, like when she unpacked all my stuff in my dorm, um, she was like dead upset. And we went for food and met all the new teammates and she was like, we were just crying our eyes out. I wouldn't change it for the world because I made some like mega friends and like girls from across the world. Playing football every day out there twice a weekend as well um, under crowds was definitely a, the best opportunity. I could have stayed for another year because of Covid but I chose to come back because I wanted to then uh, pursue like a professional career so I went on a trial at Lewis first which is near Brighton um, and I loved it like I loved the girls and then I went to West Ham and that was, it was a good um, setup and stuff. I just really liked my time at Lewis um, so I chose to go there and I had a great year and a half. Um, but Fran got in touch and it was too good of an opportunity to miss and here I am. I came up um, for a visit 
and Fran and everyone was so like kind and showed me around. The team looked after me when I came into Gran Canaria pre-season or even just a day when I did my media stuff. Like everyone, it was like everyone was really nice and it made me feel special. So I knew I was in good hands. Yeah, it's crazy. I, like, people always say it like they want to be a professional footballer, but actually doing it and doing it every day, like, like me and like quite a few of the girls will talk about, it and I'll always say like. I'm the luckiest person ever because I could be sat behind the computer all day just doing stuff I hated but I go playing football. The Euros definitely helped. Um, more girls, like when girls are coming to our games like we didn't have that when I was younger. Um, so just like knowing that they've got somewhere to go and there's always teams and opportunities for them is the best thing that they can do. So Paul, to end the podcast now, We've got a new little series, a prediction series, where every week I'm going to go against yourself and we're going to take seven games and we're going to go up against each other and see who can get the right, right results. One point for the correct result, three points for the correct scoreline. But we're also going to get yourself as the fans involved and each week we're going to get one fan on to represent the supporters. So this week we've got Charles Craw on. Um, I was speaking to Charles yesterday and uh, he says he's been a Celtic fan all his days. His favourite season has been the centenary year amongst many others and his favourite player being Paul McStay and Henrik Larson. Two very good ones there. Um, so what we're going to do, I've got seven fixtures here and we're going to go through them all. And yeah, as I said, three points for the correct result, one okay. point for the correct score. So first up, we've got RB Leipzig against Celtic in the Champions League on Wednesday. What do you think? What do you think the score will be? Yeah, we're going to win 2-1. 2-1? What's your reasons behind that? What do you think? Just because I can't, I can't ever bring myself not to have a positive result for Celtic. <laughs> no, I, I think for the reasons I talk, talked about earlier on, I think Leipzig will really come and have a go. But I think that might be their undoing because I think we'll, we'll be able to, to pick them off. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, for myself, I, I'm going for a two-each draw for that game. I think, um, yeah, as you said, Leipzig, Leipzig will come out. It's just interesting to see what we'll have sort of defensively if Carter Vickers will be back as well. Not too sure about that. Um, so I'm going for a, a two-each draw and Charles has went for a, a one-each draw as well in that one. Next up, let's take a game from the same group. Real Madrid against Shakhtar Donetsk. What are you going for for that? Uh, we'll go for 4-1 to Real Madrid. 4-1 for Real Madrid. I've went for 2-0 in that one and Charles went for 3-0. Interestingly, Real Madrid do one each at home to Osasuna the weekend as well, so that stopped their winning run this season. Um, third game, Leipzig B against the, the Celtic young boys. What are you going for in that? Well, I'm going to I'm going to steal your scoreline from the big team. I'm going to go for two each, two each for that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I went for one each in that one. I think, given their performance against Shakhtar in the last game, hopefully that will give them a good amount of confidence to go into this one and finally get their, their first result. And Charles, is, he's also went for two each as well with that. Um, fourth up, we've got Celtic away to St Johnston on Saturday in the lunchtime kickoff. I'm going to go for 3-1 for Celtic. I've went for 4-0 in that one. I think I've got so many good memories of St Johnston away. Just I always remember that uh, James Forrest game when he scored four goals yeah. in the first half and I don't know why, I just always feel like we do well there. I think we won there 3-1 away last year in the Boxing Day game when there was no fans, there were like 500 fans at the game, but we always seem to do well. So I think, I know we missed McGregor, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll get a comprehensive win. And Charles, he's also went for 3-0. Fifth up, we've got the B team away to Trinent at the weekend. Uh, for that one, I'm going to go for 4-2 to Celtic. 
4-2 to Celtic. Charles has went for 3-1. I'm going for a, a narrow 2-1 victory, I think. Don't know, the travelling from Wednesday might take them out in a little bit. So, Trenent are just ahead of Celtic Bees at the moment in the Lone League as well. So, kind of even starts to the season. So, I think Celtic will just sneak it, but a 2-1. So, we've got... A couple of games left, so I'm just going to pick some some random ones from one from Scotland, one from England at the weekend. So, Hibs against Motherwell. I think that's quite an interesting one. I would say that one will be two one to Hibs. Two one to Hibs. Yeah, I think they're in a. They've actually started to kick on a, a decent wee run. Yeah. The good result in Ross County. Motherwell are okay, but I, they they don't look a particularly great goal threat. Yeah, Charles also went for two one. I think that's the thing with Motherwell. They're just. If Van Veen's not scoring for them, then not sure where the goals are going to come. I'm going for a one-each draw in this. I think Hibs have been doing really well, but the way that the, the league is in Scotland, as soon as a team's doing well, you go, oh, I'll bank on them, and then they'll slip yeah. up. So <laughs> I'm going with that logic for this one. I'm going to one-each draw. And finally, uh, probably the biggest game that the weekend in England is Arsenal against Liverpool. Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a tough one, isn't it? I... I'm going to say two-one to Arsenal. I think, mm-hmm. I think maybe the fact that Liverpool are playing midweek, they're not. I mean, I, I watched their game against Brighton at the weekend. They should have lost it. I mean, it should have been out of sight for Brighton after about twenty minutes. There's just something not clicking into place with Liverpool at the moment. Yeah. And Arsenal, that was a big win for them in the North London derby. They look good. Yeah, and I think there's just a wee bit of more of a. It's really interesting having watched that all or nothing documentary mm-hmm. on them last season when it was kind of up and down and then seeing them this season and obviously things have clicked into place so I'm going to go 2-1 Arsenal yeah. Check that documentary's actually done quite good for them in a way I don't know it's, it's interesting Well it certainly gives you a wee insight of to, to what he was trying to do so yeah. he, he, it's obviously a work in progress and they've kind of they've kept faith with him and I think such is the fickle nature of football that you know a couple of bad results and people are you know, on somebody's back that they kept faith with them and it's now clicking into place. He, he, what they've done is they've bought really well in the summer. Jesus being the prime mm-hmm. example, just leading the line for them. So, yeah, I'm going to go for, for a 2-1 line. 2-1. I've gone for 3-1 Arsenal as well, so I'm kind of following a similar summer path yourself and Charles has also went for 3-2. None of us have any faith in Liverpool anymore. <laughs> so listen, as long as Liverpool win during the week, then we'll all be happy. Yes, I think we can all agree on that. Um, what we'll do is we'll tally those scores up and we'll see where we are next week. But and you should also say, for anybody watching, don't put any money in these. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely don't. Definitely don't. Ro- we're not, I'm rubbish. Yeah, yeah we're, not, <laughs> we're not advising that at all. Um, I've not decided yet if at the end of the season if we're going to do a, a, a prize or a something prize like or that. A prize or a forfeit. Or a forfeit, yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, could do something like, you know, a signed shirt or something. But then if one of us wins it, it's like, when you find out someone's won the lottery and the person actually works for the lottery or something, you know, so that'd be a bit unfair. But we'll wait, we'll, we'll find out how, how that goes. But every week we want you to get involved as well. So we're looking for a different fan every week. So, so do get in touch with us if you want to be involved in next week. Paul, that wraps everything up for, for this week. Thanks very much for, for joining me. And thank you very much for watching. And hopefully this time next week, we've got a few more big results to look back on. Cheers for now.